Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. We're so glad you are joining us for episode 117. We're recording this on Sunday, March 14th at about 1 o'clock p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, because Daylight Savings Time started today. Uh, I am your host, Terry Plucknett. With me, as always, are Todd Plucknett and Zach Saltz. We're recording this on Sunday, uh, one day ahead of the release of the Oscar nominations. Uh, but since you're probably not going to be able to listen to this until after those, we're not really going to talk about them at all. We listened to our last podcast episode, episode 116, if you want to hear our thoughts on that. But one thing I will say to that is look soon for our Oscar challenge ballot to be released of your opportunity to try and pick the winners to the Oscars and see if you can be better than us in doing that. All right. So Todd and Zach, you guys are here. Zach, you were gone last week. So uh, how was Northwest Arkansas? Oh, it was fantastic. I mean, <laughs> you know, when you see the 2021 Best Picture winner Minari, you know, it gives you this perception of Arkansas as this flat, uh, very boring place. But um, in reality, I would rank it as a top four underrated state, along with Pennsylvania and Arizona and obviously Kansas. And um, it was great because, as some of you cineasts know out there, Criterion came out with this big announcement unexpectedly that they were um, removing some of their Paramount titles from their circulation. And so I frantically contacted like my local, um, you know, Barnes and Noble around this area in the Kansas City area. Obviously, everything sold out, but not in Arkansas. So I was able. Thank God for the rednecks who don't follow Criterion. I, they probably don't know what a Criterion is. Uh, but I was able to pick up some selections here. Uh, Rosemary's Baby on Blu-ray. Uh, don't Look Now, Nicholas Rogue. I've actually never seen this movie. It's a little sad that I will probably never take it out of the, the, the case, but so be it. And uh, Harold and Maude, which I've always kind of found to be an overrated movie anyway. Um, the other three, Nashville and uh, Days of Heaven and La Dolce Vita, I already own. But um, you know what? Thank God for the for for the hillbillies. I got these criterion because I went to Arkansas. So don't bash on Arkansas. I heard the last podcast is not next to Nevada, Todd. Give me a break. <laughs> no, and, I said uh, it's like equal distance from it, it, Kansas to Arkansas and to Nevada. Is what I was saying. That like you could have gone to sure. Vegas for about the T same. Listen, typical coastal elitism, flyover territory. Listen, okay, Arkansas is salt of the earth, all right? It's not, you know, Cannon Beach, okay? But it's, like, pretty <laughs> awesome. You get to go, you know, see some... Um, you know, uh, Ozark, it, it's like it's like driving into season two of Ozark, okay? You know what? You probably got some uh, poppy fields around there. You got maybe the marina. You got the strip club, the Lickety Splits. Isn't that what it's called in Ozark? I can't remember. Yeah. But uh, it's it, it was charming. One of the more underrated places. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed all right. Um, so let's, uh, Zach, I see you are in a different destination. So I think that affects uh, what you're drinking today. 
Uh, it, it does. I've told a funny story off air about why I'm in my classroom today. We'll just leave it at that. Uh, it involves a birthday present that tomorrow is my birthday. So um, I have to be out of the house for this birthday present. As a result, I'm drinking some Agua Fria. I've never been happier to drink Agua Fria because uh, of my birthday present that I'm getting tomorrow, hopefully. We'll leave it at that. And you get your Oscar nominations for your birthday, too. That's true, yeah. And I have to come back to work after spring break, so that, <laughs> that sucks. But, it you know, there's a payoff. Uh, Todd, what are you drinking? I have the Hayes Parker Reserve bourbon. Just solid bourbon. Nice, nice. Well, I went to... I got, uh, got some uh, Ridgewalker Brewery beer, and this is uh, their Scotch Ale called scotch waffles so that's that's what i got it's it's really good it's really good really smooth and rich scotch and waffles sound like a fantastic combination it sounds like something that should only exist in vegas quite honestly i agree i agree all right well uh make sure that you subscribe rate review if you have not done so yet on apple podcast stitcher uh pandora spotify uh, find us on Twitter, find us on YouTube, find us on Facebook, uh, check us out all over the place. Let's get into this. We're going to talk about what we've been watching, and then we have a review from two of us on a uh, brand new movie that is going to be talked about when the Oscar nominations come out. And then we have a come to the stable review of a, of a movie that is not new from a couple of us. and then. We have a pretty awesome deep dive today of a great, uh, great comedy celebrating 20 years uh, this uh, this year. So let's get into this. Um, Zach, what did you watch from Arkansas? Uh, well, I, I, a lot of hillbillies. Uh, but <laughs> when I came back, uh, I was able to watch a movie. It is uh, a new movie um, re released, I think, fairly recently on Amazon Prime. It is called Herself. And it is directed by Felinda Lloyd, who you may know as the director of the Iron Lady and the Mamma Mia movies. I think actually maybe just the first Mamma Mia movie. Um, and it stars, let me look here, um, Molly Mc... Uh, nope, not, not the right actor. There we go. Claire Dunn as Sandra. And she, as the movie opens, uh, we learn that she is a mother of two young daughters. And she is caught in this very abusive relationship. This movie takes place in Ireland, by the way. And uh, as the movie opens, she is um, fleeing with her daughters from this total jerk, uh, abusive um, ex-husband. And uh, she has to sort of um, find a place to stay. She ends up staying at this hotel. She has to kind of um, barter and uh, kind of work between these multiple jobs. One of the jobs she works is as a house cleaner or caregiver sort of to this rich lady and um she starts watching youtube one day and sees that there's this whole channel about like kind of diy build your own houses and okay well things kind of get in place and she's actually able to convince the old lady or actually the old lady lets her uh build her own house on her property and so the movie's sort of a weird combination of like i don't know like uh uh, gritty kitchen sink realism meets like DIY YouTube videos about people building their own like uh, houses. Um, it's a pretty f interesting movie. Um, it's uh, not like the most you know thought provoking or complicated movie in the world. You kind of sort of sense where it's going. It's not too emotionally manipulative. It's probably about a seven on the emotional man manipulative scale, um, but it is entertaining. I really like the lead performance by uh, Claire 
done as Sandra. And um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it was fine. It was like, it was like part of why I wanted to keep watching the movie was to see how the house turned out. I mean, it was pretty cool what they were building. So, you know, when you get a lot of people building a house, it's worth watching. So it's all three star movie. I like it. I liked it more than the Iron Lady. That's saying something. No, actually, it's not really saying. It's much, not really saying much. But, yeah, but it's it's pretty good. <laughs> good, good. Have All either right. of you ever like built anything before? It, it made me feel, you know, my, my dad has a saying: these hands were made for writing checks, and uh, that says everything you need to know about my ability to build things. And so I I related to this woman in the movie who really hadn't built anything before, but felt a lot of pride of ownership when it when it was completed. I, I understand the sentiment. I'll put it that way. All right. Well, Todd, you're next. Take us into the cager. Okay, I'm going with the 2018 movie directed by Rob W. King called The Humanity Bureau, which is <laughs> a Canadian movie, but it's set in the American Midwest uh, sometime in the near future. And it is like global warming has sort of caused the world to become a desert wasteland. And as a way to keep the economy going, the government develops this um, humanity bureau which tracks and removes inefficient uh, citizens and places them in New Eden away from the rest of society and Nich Nicholas Cage plays Noah Cross who's a member of the bureau and he uh, gets an appeal from this lady and, and uh, who's going to be deported to New Eden and uh, he becomes involved in the case and then he sort of starts to try to save them as he uncovers a bunch of corruption within the organization the, the mother is played by Sarah Lind and Hugh Dillon is the main villain and he's awesome. Like he, I've, I've seen him in a bunch of stuff now and he, I, I wish he, he would make more movies. Um, it's it movie kind of reminds me of like a idea driven indie movie, but it's good since it's got Nick Cage, it, they're able to like pump a bunch of budget into the visual effects, which are all really bad. Like I have no idea how these movies get made or like uh, who sees them in the theater, but it, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's not a, a well, uh, good use of the budget. I, I there's some really bad cinematography. It kind of looks like the Book of Eli, but it's supposed to be like current-ish. Like I, I don't know. This just everything is digitally enhanced to the point that it's kind of distracting. I think Cage knows that the movie sucks, so he's not really trying. But everybody else thinks that they're in like Minority Report or something. They're actually really interesting supporting characters. Uh, it, it it goes for a lot of like really intimate scenes with the with the characters, and like instead of like suspense and action, it's more like character development, which is strange you get a little bored with it at times because you're kind of confused about how to feel or like uh how how seriously to actually take the premise but it, it does some have some really dark themes and some really has some disturbing things to say about society i but i'm not really saying it's a good movie i'm giving it two stars which puts it number 66 on the cager between jujitsu and the frozen ground uh and nothing like either of those movies all right all right I mean, the title just kind of tells you everything you need to know about that. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, All it right. sounds like they were going for the Adjustment Bureau, but without the word adjustment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty much. Similarities between those movies, for sure. Okay. So my uh, Oscar anniversary movie for this week. Uh, let's see. I, I don't think you guys are going to get it, but we can try. Uh, because it is a foreign film nominee from 10 years ago that none of us have seen before. It was uh, the foreign nominee from Belgium. That's about uh. all I can give you. This is called Runscop or Bullhead. 
that's the that's the American version of it. Oh, um, yeah. This is uh this movie was uh, written and directed by Michael R. Roskam, who uh, American audiences might know a little more for being the director of The Drop with Tom Hardy, which I really enjoyed. Uh, so this is a really interesting movie. Uh, starring Matthias Schoenarts in probably his breakout role where everyone started to notice him. Uh, and he plays Jackie. And this is kind of surrounding something I didn't even know was a thing. And it was it's the like criminal underworld of uh, of steroid dealings to for cows in Belgium. That that's like that that's like the, the criminal underworld of of that of this movie. Anyways, uh, Jackie plays a young cattle farmer who is, uh, who is himself roided up on steroids and supplements and everything he can. And he is just gigantic and brooding in this. Uh, and there's a reason why that you find out about later, some tragedy that he's had earlier on in life. And, uh, they end up getting mixed up in by a series of coincidences in a, uh, in an investigation for uh, a police detective that has been murdered, that was investigating the the uh, illegal steroid dealings for for the local bovine. Um, it is, I, honestly, I don't know what to make of this movie. It is bizarre. Um, you gotta you gotta accept the premise that apparently the the life of you know roiding up cattle so that they are better set for the butcher is an actual thing. Um, like, like they're talking about it like it's the mafia, the mafia dealings with with this. Um, but with with that, uh, it, it it goes in some interesting directions. Uh, you see uh, Jackie get uh, kind of obsessed with uh, a girl named Lucia, played by uh, Jean Dandoy. And then uh, one of the coincidences is uh, finding a childhood friend in the midst of all of this, played by uh, Joron Percival, who's uh, plays Diederich. Uh, I'm giving it two and a half stars. This there is something going on here, and I could see what um, why everybody loved this. As I was watching it, I'm like, this is a total Todd movie, and he definitely needs to watch it because I think he would totally get into this. Uh, but the ending doesn't really pay off the way I was hoping it would, um, and it's just kind of I honestly I didn't know what to do with it. Uh, Matthias Schoenarts is great, and he shows why he's kind of been this underground cult favorite actor for the last 10 years but uh yeah yeah it, it's it's kind of it's kind of interesting the drop is a much better movie i'll put it that way so uh run scop two and a half stars it's been on my list of movies i need to watch for a long time Fine. you 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 should check it out i really think he, I, this is a total todd movie like as i'm watching like todd would totally be all over this but uh but yeah there you go run scop I feel like we need a Nicolas Cage movie about illegal cattle steroid black markets. Um, Why hasn't that been made yet? I, I, yeah, I, this was, it was so bizarre how they were going about this. I'm like, really? Okay. So criminal underworld of steroid dealings to beef up cattle. Got it. Okay. (laughs) But I mean, it it is, it, it does take some interesting twists and turns. Okay. So that's uh, what we've been watching. Now let's get into our movie reviews. So we, we had some interesting um, series of events here uh, to uh, to lead us to how we're going to do these next these next couple things. So 
Uh, coming out fresh this week was The Father, finally. Like, the last movie that hadn't gotten a wide release that was up for serious Oscar consideration. What's the matter, Dad? Strange things going on around us. Don't worry. Everything will sort itself out. Saw it in his eyes, didn't know who I was. It was like I was a stranger to him. Just did something to me. I don't know what she's cooking up against me, but she's cooking something up. What are you talking about, Dad? I'm not leaving my flat! I am not leaving my flat! Um, hit movie theaters, select movie theaters, on Friday. And we decided, or we thought about it, finally, like, what, Friday night, that we should maybe think about going to see this. Well, I couldn't get to the theater, so I'm not going to be reviewing The Father, but Todd and Zach are. And then after that, we'll talk about our come to the stable review that Zach will be left out of. So anyways, it is time for the father uh, starring Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Coleman, who uh, hopefully, unless something crazy happens when you hear this, we'll be talking about Oscar nominated performances by Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Coleman. Uh, anyways, uh, Zach, I'm going to toss it to you first. Tell us all about the father and what you thought. All right. Well, before I get too much into The Father, I want to mention that this is the first movie I've seen in a theater since March of last year. I have my movie ticket. Maybe I'll frame it someday. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's it's not a movie that's available streaming. I don't know if either of you guys know what the what the plan is for that. It doesn't seem like it's being released streaming. So basically, this I feel like the studio is basically sacrificing it's Oscar visibility right down the, the toilet with that. I, I'm not sure why this movie um, isn't being streamed anywhere. But yeah, I've heard uh, it, it's had like zero campaign and and just kind of making what it what it's making off of name notoriety. Yeah, which is really unfortunate. Um, so, so the movie theater I went to is our, the local art house theater in Lawrence. And uh, I was very nervous at first. I, I double masked it. Uh, but, um, pretty quickly when I went into the theater, it looked pretty empty. Um, you know, I'm around a bunch of 16 year olds all day. So it's not like what I was doing was more risky. I felt like than what I normally do. Um, but it was a great experience being back at the movies. Um, I feel pretty good 24 hours later. I'm getting my, my second vaccine later this week. Let's bring back movies. Okay. I'm, I'm tired of watching movies streaming. Um, you know, it's nice to pause it and get up and go to the bathroom, but honestly, the movie going experience can never be replicated. And I, I deeply worry about the future of, uh, especially art house theaters because, uh, it just, I don't know. It, 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 it's sad. Um, I guess we'll, we'll see what happens. I, it's hard to imagine a movie like the father playing in big AMC theaters, although maybe Todd, you saw it there. Anyway, that experience aside, um, yeah, I, Look, I don't want to get too much into this because Terry hasn't seen it yet. I want Terry to see it. I want him to see it as blind going into it as I was. I did not see the trailer for this movie going in. I did not know, know very much about it, and I'm glad I didn't know much about it. Um, all I really have to say is it is a absolutely amazing movie from start to finish. Fantastic. I'm glad I saw it in an art house theater. The theater here in Lawrence is like a little ratty. Like the audio is not great quality. The picture is a little weird. It kind of worked perfect for the father because the father is all about 
the Anthony Hopkins character, who is the father, who is gradually um, losing his um, mental awareness. He has dementia. He is rapidly declining. And so the movie is really all about um, being confused, being in this face of delusions, not being sure quite what is real, what isn't. It, it was kind of a perfect theatrical experience. I, I don't think it would work as well at home watching it on Netflix. However, I think you could say that almost about any movie, too. So it, it was just a, a reminder about how immersive um, the movie theater experience really is. And for a movie like this, it, it really works well. Um, I thought about movies like um, A Beautiful Mind and The Diving Bell and the Butterfly in terms of how just immersive everything was. You felt like you were this character going through the ordeals that he was going through. Again, I don't want to say too much about it, but I, feel, I felt like the director, um, Florian Zoller, did or Zeller did an amazing job of giving you just enough to sort of understand what was going on, but leaving you enough in the dark to feel that sense of confusion and frustration. It was a beautiful, very difficult to conceive of balance. It's hard to believe that this movie was a, pl a play. I felt like this this is is tailor made for the cinematic medium. And um, it was an astonishing experience. I'm considering this a 2021 movie. I'm giving it four stars. If it was on my list for 2020 movies, it would be in my top three of the year. Yeah, I'm right with you on basically everything you said. I, I love the movie. I, I think the play would be pretty amazing to watch, though, because, I mean, obviously, this the way that it's structured and the way it's edited, it fits really well with, with being a movie, but the... But to watch that on on stage would be crazy, and I, I think Anthony Hopkins—it's one of the best performances I've ever seen. And um, I I don't know, I don't I don't know how 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 else to really describe it other than that. Like he makes you feel so deeply, like it is so deeply empathetic. But it's like structured in a way that for me it reminded me of like Mulholland Drive or something. Like you really get like the like you'll see a scene and then you'll come back and then you'll see the scene again but from a different way and and you could just really see how disillusioned everything is it, it it's a it really is an amazing movie i i'm not really sure why olivia coleman's going to get nominated for an oscar i think olivia williams is a standout supporting performance in the movie but i mean obviously all, all, all like seven characters are really really great and of course hopkins is just unbelievable i cannot believe he's not winning best actor he is i mean it's his best performance i've ever that i've seen him give whoa yeah it's yeah. a it's a four star movie. It's it's my number two of twenty twenty. It's um uh, yeah, it, it is absolutely special. So uh, I did see this week that the BAFTAs gave a lot of love to this movie. However, Olivia Coleman was not nominated inexplicably for Best Supporting Actress. Can can you explain that? Well, I mean, they they snubbed like a whole bunch of British people. <laughs> it was, I mean, I, I think Gary Oldman was not nominated as well, and. Uh, Oh, I can't remember what the other ones were. There, there were like four or five that were like, wait, that doesn't make any sense. Oh, uh, uh, Carrie Mulligan not nominated. Oh, well. yeah. But yeah, I, I don't know how. Olivia, Olivia Coleman, that, that is, the BAFTAs eat that shit up. And she she's beloved. She's the queen. <laughs> I mean, I can't. I, can't, I mean, but I, I don't think, I think Olivia Williams is a standout, though. Yeah, I mean, the whole cast is a standout. I think it's sort of, I can understand a little bit how the perfor the performances in this movie are amazing. I absolutely agree. It's not like, though, there's, like, as good as Anthony Hopkins is, what, what I'm mo more impressed with is he doesn't have those, like, screaming to the heavens moments as much. It's a great performance in sort of an unexpected way. Um, 
Olivia he's super sarcastic. I did not yeah. expect him to be like be anything like the way he was. I expected to be just a really sad, uh, angry old man. But um, yeah, it's it's un- yeah, it's completely unexpected, especially for Hopkins. Well, and I think the performances, at least for me, that I can see them getting lost a little bit in the concept of the movie. I, I feel like the, the the movie's concept is maybe more important than the sum of the whole of the individual performances, if that makes sense. So I can understand that. However, if Anthony Hopkins hadn't won an Oscar 30 years ago, absolutely he would win for this movie. And um, because you got to think like, you know, it's 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 in the similar territory as Julianne Moore and Still Alice. This is a much better movie than Still Alice. But it is a, a movie about, I think, someone taking a very serious risk um, with their performance. I mean, if I were Anthony Hopkins, like as old as he is, like, like there, this movie to me was almost a horror movie. I, I like if you were to categorize it as a genre, I wouldn't call it drama. I would call it horror. It was absolutely like terrifying to watch. And I think the terror uh, is, you know, implicit in Anthony Hopkins give, being that taking that much of a risk giving this performance. I, I, I don't I don't know how to articulate it, but like it was actually like a really unsettling movie in a lot of ways, too. I was not expecting that either. Still, Alice wasn't unsettling. It was just like dramatic. But this movie was like really uncomfortable to watch at times. Yeah, I mean, that's what I say. It's it's super empathetic, and like you never see it from that perspective because, like, away from her or other movies that deal mm. with similar subject matter, they're more. Or more. Yeah, and they're they're not they're not like this. Like, yeah, right. more. I guess that's a pretty good that's a good comparison as well. But more is a Henneke movie. This is not a, a, a Michael Henneke movie. That this movie is just it's hard to categorize. I don't think I've ever seen a movie quite like it. The closest would be the Diving Bell and the Butterfly, which was about you know, something entirely different. And this movie doesn't have like first person subjectivity in that movie, but it has that same sort of, again, immersiveness that I think is crucial to watching in a movie theater. So Terry, what, what, what's the hangup, man? I mean, it's not like there's a massive disease out there or anything preventing us from going to theaters. Although you've been vaccinated, haven't you? So like you need to go see this movie. Anyone who's I vaccinated see it at an there, AMC. I, it's playing at a couple AMCs. I had to drive a bit to get there, but. And it was, it was, I mean, there were a lot of people there. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, if, if, if you feel comfortable taking the risk and hopefully you've been vaccinated, everybody should go see this movie. It, it's an amazing movie. I think it, the Oscar campaign is suffering. Maybe I, I'm, I'm not sure what the studio did, but like, um, I, I, this is definitely a movie that's getting lost in the shuffle, but hopefully we'll get remembered as one of 2020 or 2021's, you know, great cinematic achievements. Did Terry leave us? I think he's gone. He's gone. So now we can spoil the movie. Maybe, <laughs> maybe he thinks he's in a different house. <laughs> different computer. When I was watching it, the, the guy that was two seats over, he was eating an ice cream sandwich for the first like 30 minutes of the movie, and then he got <laughs> up and left. <laughs> it was weird. Yeah, There were only two other people in the audience when I saw it, and one of the people cried at the end of the movie. They were like in tears, which I can understand. I, it was yeah. a deeply moving experience watching. Am I good to come back? Yeah. Okay. Could you not hear anything? No, I, I, I unplugged because Zach's like, oh. I don't want him to hear anything. Oh, so, okay. Well, we didn't I, go I didn't into plug. much detail. Yeah, we, okay. we didn't spoil too much. Okay. All right. Well, we well, should good. have spoiled more of it. How about the I, ending I, of that movie, Todd? I, Man, I was did saying... you see that coming with the cow black market? I, I cannot believe <laughs> that they actually, Anthony Hopkins was able to get the cow steroids. Those fathers, I, I, man. 
Honestly, I was sitting here thinking, I'm not here to tell them to stop talking. How long is this conversation going to go on? Well, we tried yeah. to get you back in like maybe three minutes ago. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know. I didn't know. All right. Well, I'll see that one over the uh, over the next week, and uh, we'll talk about it again next uh, next week, maybe go into a little more detail after all of us have seen it. Speaking of all of us having seen it, uh, it's time for our Come to the Stable review uh, that we all agreed upon last week. In fact, Zach uh, is the one that decided between three different movies. By the way, so Come to the Stable, it's us finding a random older movie that none of us have seen, and we watch it and review it. Named after the first time we did this, the film Come to the Stable, which surprisingly was an amazing movie that we that was thrice approved. Uh, I don't know if it was amazing. It just it was good. Yeah, you gave it it was pleasantly surprising. We, we like pleasantly <laughs> surprising, I would say. Uh, and, well, like and that, nuns and, as tennis players. Yeah, it was one of I the best best surprising. Ever. Yeah, yeah. Pleasantly surprising. Anyways, so we decided uh, as a group that we were gonna do this, and then Zach completely forgot that we were going to do this. So he has not seen our Come to the Stable movie. So next week, I'll talk about The Father. Zach's going to talk about this. Uh, we are looking at the 50th anniversary, or 51st, depending on how you want to look at it, of uh, the uh, film Investigation of a Citizen Above Suspicion. Uh, we thought it was an interesting title. It sounded like an interesting premise. And Zach's like, hey, there's a criterion for this. And so we decided, hey, then let's let's watch that one. So. Zach, I'm going to kick you out now, and we're going to talk about this. And you can unplug if you want, or you can listen. Oh, no, I want to listen to this. I, okay, you I'm can listen curious. to it. Yeah. But, but we won't see you, and we won't be able to hear you. So there we go. All right. Isn't that so, better that way? Potentially, potentially. Okay, so Zach is gone. All right. So, yeah, so uh, Investigation of a Citizen Above Suspicion. 50 years ago, uh, it was nominated among the 1971 movies for Best Original Screenplay. And then 51 years ago, it won Best Foreign Film. So this is kind of this weird thing they did in the Oscars back then that they don't do anymore. Anyways, Todd, tell us all about this movie and what you thought. Uh, it is directed by Elio Petri, and it is about this guy named uh, Dottore, who is played by Gian Maria Valente, and he's a, a chief police inspector. And in the first scene, he murders his mistress while in the middle of making love. Then he sort of tampers with uh, the crime scene and makes himself like a part of the investigation. And then he starts to sort of plant evidence that would implicate him in the murder, almost like testing the competence of the department. Uh, right after he kills the girl, he uh, pours himself a drink, which I thought was just a great, a great way to start this movie. Um, uh, the score is done by uh, Ennio Morricone, and it feels like an instant classic score. It's, it's like a Hitchcockian intensity building theme to the movie and it plays throughout and it is just a great piece of music it, it, the movie is sort of a deliberate pace it feels sort of claustrophobic though because uh he's so close to everything you don't really know exactly what he's after or and why no one can really figure it out valente also looks like an uncomfortable amount like zach efron but with like a Liev schreiber comb over i could not get that out of my head the entire movie it is he is zach efron's critique oh. <laughs> Uh, I think the movie, it's kind of an angry movie, though. Like, uh, it's it's really critical of like people in power, not just the police, who like believe that they actually are above the law. It was supposed to be remade in nineteen in the eighties by Paul Schrader, which just makes too much sense. I have no idea why that didn't happen. It's um, uh, it's an easy movie to watch, and 
you can see what they're trying to say, but I, I just wanted more like procedural cop stuff. Like instead, it, it feels a little loose. It plays for like style and sexiness than it does for like real like believability in the story. And maybe that's more of like a preference than uh, than a criti criticism. But uh, I just kept feeling that throughout. I just I just wanted to watch them investigate more. Uh, I don't know. It, it it just wasn't close to what I was expecting from that premise, especially an Italian movie at that. Uh, but it is compelling, and the acting is subtle. Other than when uh, Valente is doing his like Mussolini channeling uh, at, at times, I, I can't say I love the movie's choices overall. But it, I mean, it definitely is worth a look. And it is sort of an outlier in how it plays with uh, other foreign language film winners at the Oscars. I, I can't think of a single one that's anything like this. But uh, overall, I'm giving it a solid three stars. So this was the second uh, foreign film I watched this week that I really didn't know what to do with. Um, and, uh, and right now I have it at two and a half and I might bump it up to three. Um, I thought the opening to this was fascinating because the opening gives you everything that you need needed from the premise, right? It, it's, it, it gives you this, I, this like sexy thriller, but get, giving you that there's some sort of puzzle that's going to be involved in this. And, and some, you know, this cop is this somewhat criminal mastermind. I mean, it, it, this could have been, this would have been one hell of a short if it had just like stopped when he walked into the police station and just been like that, like that, that right there is all it needed to be. That was a masterpiece. I was hoping it was going to be a little more of a puzzle though with, I mean, with the ideas of the premise of him planting evidence to implicate him, it's like, well, why exactly is he doing this? There's got to be something more to this. He, is he some sort of criminal mastermind and in, in implicating himself, something else is going to be uncovered or something. And I felt like the payoff just didn't really go where you were hoping it would go. Like you were saying, you were hoping for a little bit more cop procedural type stuff. And in, in hoping for that, you were hoping to see why all of this would have happened instead of the, the scramble that ends up yeah. happening towards the end. Um, Morricone's score, it, at first, it's like, all right, this is really random and cool. And then after a little while, it just kind of gets a little annoying um, at times. Like, like I, I was watching it with my wife last night, and she was like, if it does that little boing th thing one more time, I'm going to freak out. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, two and a half for now, I could be convinced one way or the other, but sound, it, you saying that you're not thinking it's like some great masterpiece either i think i might leave it there um unless zach convinces me otherwise next week i i think that that's where i'm gonna be on this but it was a really like, like i said it's it was like this super insanely fascinating premise it just felt like after the premise it didn't really know what it wanted to do with the rest of the movie but i could see for the 70s as being a really inventive creative film yeah i the the end scene i think works really well i mean and that that is sort of like a summation of what we wanted sort of more from the movie right i but, think so yeah 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 zach's gonna totally give it a joe-ish like uh you know four stars or something probably probably yeah he, he's gonna he's gonna explain how how it's all an allegory for for everything that that's happened in the last 50 years and uh you know just like just like joe yelling at his guns was the same thing so um <laughs> Oh hey hey Zach's back hey all right so anyways that's uh that's investigation of a citizen above suspicion 
Yeah, so um, I did not watch this movie. I was too busy in Arkansas. And uh, I just, I, I do have to say a couple things. Um, 1970, pretty weak year for foreign films. If you look at some of those other nominees, the only other one that I, I have seen, I've heard of, I haven't seen it, is uh, Louis Bunuel's Tristana. The other three I've never heard of before. Um, my th I have three four-star foreign films from that year, none of which were nominated. The Wild Child, which Todd knows I love, Les Cirque Rouge, and El Topo. I don't know why those weren't nominated, but I feel like this might have been the beneficiary of a fairly weak category, and that would reiterate some of the things that you guys were saying. Well, but then it gets nominated for original screenplay the next year. Yeah, there's sort and of like a justification kind of thing, I would yeah, kind of, kind of crazy, and I, I don't know. Do you guys wish the Oscars could still do this, or, or are you glad that we, we only need to see a movie once and then it's, it's over with? Oh, I, I, have a problem I, with it. I hate it. I, I, I think that's it's, it's weird. It, it I think it's, uh, you know, unfairly puts the foreign film. I mean, how are you going to get, how is something that wins one year or is nominated one year going to get the same sort of attention if it's nominated again the next year? Like wasn't Fanny and Alexander one of them and some, some of these other foreign movies in the sixties and seventies. Like it's, it was a strange loophole that I could never really figure I out. I know, but like, you don't, you, there's not, you don't have the same eligibility window for foreign films as you do American movies. And then, so that's why a lot of these foreign movies are only nominated for foreign film, even though it probably was one of the best movies of the year. If it wasn't released at wide in theaters the year before, I don't. I mean, I, I, I like. I would like to have seen what the lives of others could have done the next year again, like uh, against No Country for Men and There Will Be Blood and stuff like that, because it would have been in the conversation. You know what I would like to see, besides this movie, I would like to see the Barry Fitzgerald rule. You get nominated for Best Actor and Supporting Actor. That's what Anthony Hopkins should have been for Silence of the Lambs. Bam! We solved our fight from three weeks ago. Right there. There we go. There Reinstate we go. Barry Fitzgerald. All just came full circle. Awesome. All right. Well, yeah. So next week, uh, listen in and you will hear me talk about the father. You'll hear Zach talk about. I'm going to uh, defend the dings. I'm looking forward to those. The boings. Boings. Excuse me. <laughs> You'll know exactly what I'm talking about when you hear it. <laughs> All right. Uh, but yeah, investigation of a citizen above suspicion. We've got a three star. We got a two and a half. And uh, we'll hear what Zach as for that next week. All right. Time for our deep dive. And our deep dive this week is celebrating the 20th anniversary of Shallow Hal. 20th Century Fox presents. Haven't you ever heard the phrase that beauty is in the eye of the beholder? Have you heard the song Who Let the Dogs Out? Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh. Jack Black. Are you okay? Brain freeze. In the comedy of gigantic proportions. The Fairly Brothers uh, comedy starring Jack Black and Gwyneth Paltrow. Uh, this was Todd's choice as a, as a favorite uh, guilty pleasure comedy of his. And so we're going to be talking all things uh, Shallow Hal today. Uh, this is, I, I've got to admit, this is one of the more interesting choices we've had for this. And so it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. So we're going to start with trivia, and I am hosting trivia this time, and since Todd is the only one that hasn't left us yet, Todd is going to go second, Zach is going to go first. So Todd's going to unplug, and he is now off the screen too. Okay, so let's see here. 
Oh, I gotta, I gotta get ready here. I haven't, I gotta get ready to write stuff down. We have 10 questions and it's worth one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 points. Right. I didn't really know how, how in depth to go with this one, but we'll see how it, we'll see how it goes. All right. First question. Why is Mauricio breaking up with Lindy? Because her second toe is longer than her first. That is correct. Uh, to what does Hal compare Tony Robbins' hands when he shakes it? Bananas. Yep, a bunch of bananas. Um, uh, this one's worth two points. Where's Katrina from and why is she in town? <laughs> if you need help, Katrina is the first, like, girl he sees after meeting Tony Robbins. Oh, she's from Boston. Bean Town. That really helped, by the way. That was a big clue. Make, yeah. make sure to give it to Todd, too. I will, too. Um, I don't remember why she's in town. Taking care of her sick grandma. That Because she's a fat woman who is a great person. That makes yep. sense. Taking care of granny. Yeah. I, I, honestly, I don't think it mentions that her name is Katrina until later on in the film. That's why I was willing to give you that much. Okay. Um... Worth three points. What was Rosemary's lunch order? A shake. Chocolate shake. Chocolate shake is correct. Chili cheese fries. Chili cheese fries is correct. And then a burger. I don't know. Do you accept that? Double burger, something burger. I'll give you half. It was a double pizza burger. Oh, that's right. Okay. That sounds disgusting, by the way. I, yeah, I feel like pizza is an important part of that, that statement. Yeah, so that's fair. That, yeah. That, that sounds gross. Uh, next question. What is Rosemary eating when he invites her up to his apartment? Wow, all these questions about Rosemary eating. I wonder what the movie's up to. Um, <laughs> what is Rosemary... Uh, I mean, she eats so much in this movie, so it's, it's a problem to figure out one scene. It, it, when she's going up to his... I, I don't know. I, she eats the cake, but that's, it, that's at the office. So no, This I, is I like remember. on the street, outside his building. I don't remember. It's a caramel apple. Ah. Uh, all right, next question. What phrase releases Hal from the spell? Shallow Hal needs a gal. Shallow Hal wants a gal. Shallow I get Shallow Hal wants a gal. Wants a gal. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll probably accept either way. Okay. Next question. What does CC stand for? Car carnivorous. No, no. It's the, it's the disease that he's, he claims he has. A contagious something. I'll give you half. It's contagious conjunctivitis. With the stuff on his eyes. Okay, yep, I remember yep. that now. Yep. Next question. What former World Series champ appears in this film? <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, I had a feeling I was going to catch you guys on this one. I have no idea. I give up. Hopefully not Johnny Damon. New York Mets pitcher Ron Darling. Yeah. He, he's wow. handsome Lee boy. I did not know that. That's very interesting. I, I didn't either. And then I saw him on this. I'm like, that's Ron Darling. I, I, I watched have too much thoughts about Handsome Lee Boy and Handsome What's His Name, but we'll get to those later. I, I, I watched too much MLB. They, they may be for... some of the worst performances in the movie. I'm just going to put that out. <laughs> well, if one's a former <laughs> baseball player, it kind of makes sense. Um, <clears throat> next question. If Ralph hurts Rosemary, how will be like what to Ralph? Chicken dinner. I don't know. 
a tiger and a deer with the cloven hoof thing. Ah, okay. It's coming back to me. And last question, what song starts the opening credits? No clue. Love grows where my rosemary goes. Well, are you talking about at the end or the beginning? The closing, that, that, the, like what starts the closing credits? I didn't like, hear what the song word is closing. I thought you said what what starts the opening. What what no, no, starts what the song credits? Starts the closing credits. Right. I knew that it was that. I thought you were talking about the opening credits. No. All right. What well, clarify that? that it's the closing credit. You didn't say closing. I, I credits. said closing credits. No, you didn't. Listeners, go back. He didn't say that. That's okay. That's all right. I don't care. Whatever. This, is, this was Todd's okay. pick. All right. Well, you got you got seven of the thirteen. There's no way I wouldn't have known that. But okay. Okay. Well, I'll give you half a point. How about that? For freaking out a. It it's like vantage point. Rewind that. All right. Okay. Here we go. Now we're in the right order again. All right. So there are 10 questions worth a total of 13 points. And uh, Zach got seven and a half. So okay. I, I have a feeling Todd's going to win this. Maybe that second to last question should have been worth multiple points. If you could get I don't know. No. All right. First question. Why is Mauricio breaking up with Lindy? Uh, because her second toe is longer than her big toe. That is correct. Uh, to what does Hal compare Tony Robbins' hands when he shakes it? It's like grabbing a bunch of bananas. Grabbing a bunch of bananas is correct. Um, where is Katrina from and why is she in town? Two points. Uh, she's in Boston. She's from Boston and she's uh, taking care of her old sick granny. Damn. Damn. Correct. I had to be reminded who Katrina was. I think Todd's going to own this. Probably worth, worth worth three points. What was Rosemary's lunch order? Um, a triple, no, double, double, a triple pizza burger, <laughs> a milkshake, and uh, uh, like chili fries or something. What what kind of milkshake? Chocolate. Correct. Okay, you got them all. I, I think it, it was or double. I think it's double, double pizza burger. Okay. Chili fries, chili cheese fries, and a, a large chocolate shake. Okay. Next question. What is Rosemary eating when he invi first invites her up to his apartment? What is she eating? What is she eating? Oh. Like when they're on the street outside his building, what is she eating when he invites her up? Well, it was like, was it a hot dog? No, it was a caramel apple. Caramel apple, yeah, because she throws it in the bushes. Yep, she does. Yeah. All right, next question. What phrase releases Hal from the spell? Shallow Hal wants a gal. That is correct. You saved your life, buddy. Uh, next question. What does CC stand for? Contagious conjunctivitis. That is correct. Uh, what former World Series champ appears in this film? I got him too. <laughs> Former World Series champ. Uh, was it like actual? Yeah, like what was it like on TV or something? No, no, no. He has an actual role in the film. Yeah, I don't like know. not playing himself. Uh, former New York Mets pitcher Ron Darling plays Handsome Lee Boy. <laughs> oh, okay. Interesting. I, I, 
I told Zach I watch way too much MLB Network not to recognize his face. Um, next question: If Ralph hurts Rosemary, how will be like what to Ralph? Like a tiger on a deer with with a cloven hoof and the broken leg. Exactly. Exactly. And last question: What song starts the closing credits? Uh, Rosemary. Well, that's. Can you give me a little more? <laughs> I don't know what the name of the song is. I thought that might be the name. No, the name of the song is "Love Grows Where My Rosemary Goes." Yeah, or my rosemary. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so with a score of ten to seven and a half, and Zach got an extra half because he was convinced I didn't say closing credits when I announced that. There's no way I would have missed that song. And by the way. That song is also part of K. Billy's greatest hits of the 70s in uh, Reservoir Dogs. Ah. Stephen Wright says it's it's playing. I don't know if it plays in that movie, but I don't, I don't know how I don't know how you couldn't have gotten that question, Todd. But I didn't <laughs> well, get it either. I, so I think you knew, I, I think you knew the song. It. You just didn't know the title. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I that's becoming a thing where we ask about individual songs in movies. It's kind of weird. I thought that one, but that one was so distinct because it was a, an oldie that said Rosemary in the title. Yeah, that's the and only reason I remembered it. <laughs> like the, the, the title of the movie or the title or Gwyneth Paltrow's character's name might have been Rosemary just so they could play that song over the credits. No shit. They also played it in the trailer and I've had that song now stuck in my head the last 24 hours, which is why it's also annoying that I didn't get it. That is an annoying <laughs> bubblegum pop catchy song that you oh, cannot get out of your head. There are a lot of songs like that in this movie, though. It's a, it is a great soundtrack, like, and, and each song defines the scene. It's almost like Tarantino-esque and like how, how well the soundtrack's put together. Well, well <laughs> okay. No, exactly. I mean, for, for a comedy... It's uh, a very I mean, generous I, I really... comparison, okay. but Okay. <laughs> For for a comedy stuck in the early two thousands, sure, I, I feel like it's very it's it, it definitely has the uh, aesthetic of that late nineties early two thousands. Anyways, Todd, you're the one that picked this. You won trivia. Tell us all about what Shallow Hal is about. Shallow Hal is about Hal, who is shallow. He is uh, Jack Black, and he is uh yeah he's he's a guy who. Uh, it only looks for the young, hot girls to go out with, and he comes across Tony Robbins and gets stuck in an elevator with him, and he puts some sort of hypnosis on him so that he can now see inner beauty as being external beauty. And so it complicates things when he meets Rosemary, who is this like really large woman that he would never would have given the time of day to, and he they fall in love, and his buddy Mauricio, who is equally shallow, uh, starts to really question things and it creates sort of a rift between Hal and everybody else because he is now sort of like in a different reality. And it's a movie that I have always really liked. I remember when it came out, I, I watched it and then it was one of those movies on cable all the time and I always caught parts of it. So I've seen this movie a lot. And uh, I, the only reason I, it even came into my mind was uh, somebody uploaded a lot of the old like Ebert and Roper top 10 of the year videos on youtube and i was watching some of them and this was roper's number 10 of 2001 and he pretty much said this isn't as not, not as good of a movie as uh as like monster's ball or anything but he's putting it at number 10 because it's the best movie in its genre uh of the year and he said that he thinks that that deserves a spot on his list which is, i think is an interesting way to put it and i wouldn't agree with him on that but um 
Uh, but yeah, so it was sort of top of mind. I was like, I've seen that movie a lot, and there's a lot of really fun characters in this, and it'd be a fun deep dive. All right, all right. Zach, what's your experience with Shallow Hell? Well, before we get to that, do you know what Roper's top three movies of 01 were? They're well, all kind of related. Well, I mean, I, I watched the video. I can't remember right off the top of my head. I haven't even watched the video. I just, I just know because I remember it so clearly. It was Mulholland Drive, Vanilla Sky, and Memento. He was into to mind effing that year, I think. I think just a little bit. It was also Roper's first year on the show, so it was kind of interesting, like microscopically dissecting every stupid thumbs up movie. He he also gave thumbs down to Lord of the Rings, which Ebert was astonished by. Um, <laughs> if if you watch it, Ebert wasn't really even a big fan of that movie. Anyway, uh, Shallow Hal, yes, okay. So Shallow Hal, uh, we we were talking about this, I think, off off camera a couple weeks ago. Oh one was a seminal year in my life. For going to movies. It was my first year in high school. It was the first year that I started really going to movies by myself because I would see movies that no one else wanted to see. This was definitely one of them. Um, I, I remember liking it quite a bit. Uh, it's, I've usually said it's my favorite Farley brother, Fairly Brothers movie. Um, didn't hold up for me very much this time. We'll talk about why. But I love Jack Black. And this was the first vehicle for Jack Black. And this paved the way. Orange County also came out in 01. Haven't seen mm -hmm. it since 01, but I'd be very interested in watching it again. This paved the way toward classics such as School of Rock and Bernie and all, all the movies we know and love him for. And he is lovable. And I'm happy he was in this movie. Um, I'm just not happy that the Fairley brothers uh, are now Oscar winners. So, But you know, we can One move on from that. One of them, I guess. But uh, yeah. It was an interesting rewatch. I'll put it that way. Well, this came at a weird time for the Fairly Brothers because this is like in their R-rated phase. Like they were doing, they did Kingpin. There's something about Mary, me, myself, and Irene. And then they make this like comedy romance with a huge heart. And it's just not anything like anything they ever really did before. Mm, yeah, I mean, it has less like gross out gags for sure. I think they were trying to go in that direction. I was surprised by how much more dramatic the movie was than I remember it being. There's not a whole lot of like laugh out loud stuff that you would typically associate with the filmmakers of Dumb and Dumber and there's something about Mary. But the other thing I remember about this movie too is that it was pretty big news that Gwyneth Paltrow was in it. By this point, Gwyneth Paltrow was doing projects that were all prestige projects. I mean, she was doing um, Bounce and uh let's see i'm trying to, i mean it was post shakespeare in love so she was considered pretty much an a-lister by that point so the fact that she would be doing a fairly brothers movie with this unknown jack black guy was actually pretty big news and i remember some of the pictures leaked from the set of her in a fat suit and everyone was like wow is this really where her career is going um but you know it it was a movie that i i remember i, I do remember tended to get mostly good reviews when it came out was this like jack black's first like starring role yeah i mean orange county i think came out earlier that year but that was also he wasn't really this the star in that movie that was more like a pete davidson big time adolescence type role um but well, colin hanks is definitely the main character yeah. in orange county but i mean this is a year after what high fidelity right so i mean he right. was he, he was becoming an actor and tenacious d was pretty big too and he was certainly a, a known entity by this point yeah okay yeah i this is one of those just like I, I always remembered it as one of those just dumb comedies from the early 2000s um, and uh, it it kind of you could kind of say now that I've seen there's something about Mary it's kind of there's something about Mary just minus a lot of the gross out stuff 
and so it's PG thirteen. Uh, in the way that it that it had, it goes about its humor in the way that it um, it still attempts attempts to have have that big heart just uh, throughout through the humor. Um, I think you definitely get a different cachet with throwing a Gwyneth Paltrow and even a Jason Alexander into the mix um, with with Jack Black, who's now you look at and you just say, wow, Jack Black. I mean, that's the guy. But then he wasn't. Uh, so, I mean, it's it's an interesting film uh, for me to, to be looking back at. I, I think, yeah, there's definitely some things in there that feel and we'll, I, we always talk about kind of what's dated. But I think I don't think this film gets made as is today um, with uh, with some of the ways it, it objectifies different things, even though the, the whole point is the, the the outer appearance doesn't matter. You You can't go as far as they did today yeah i i'm i was hoping we were gonna talk about it. maybe this will kind of go into our recasting at some point but like i think you're absolutely right terry i don't think this movie could be made today it was an it was interesting watching it again because what was funny 20 years ago i don't think is as funny today i don't know if that's a cultural thing i don't know if it's a me thing um however the message in this movie is very earnest and there aren't a whole lot of movies out there that really try to look at beauty and appearance and shallowness. So I guess I give the movie props in that respect. I guess my biggest issue with this movie is that I didn't find the comic parts very good. I thought the dramatic stuff in this movie worked pretty well. And so I leave the movie on the rewatch thinking this movie shouldn't have had Tony Robbins and it shouldn't have had this gimmick about the spell and it should have been a drama. And I think it actually kind of could have worked. And I don't think you would have had to change maybe a whole lot more. But the idea of, of an average looking guy with a woman who does not meet society's expectations for what a beautiful, conventionally beautiful woman should look like, that's really interesting stuff that has a lot of resonance in 2021. And I guess I give the Fairley Brothers some props for trying to address it when I think a lot of other movies shy away from it or are excessively shallow in their depictions of it. Well, they even mentioned the crying game in the movie, so. <laughs> it, it's true. It's true. Now, I uh, and I, I thought about it in, in kind of the terms of, uh, like, and there's something about Mary. I mean, th there's there's a lot of heart there too, and there's a and there's a um, a message in that movie as well. However, you look at like how they handle and treat the Mary's brother's character. That that feels very similar to to how certain characters are portrayed in Shallow Hal of yeah, yeah, you, you just can't do that anymore. And and it's not really that funny anymore. And it might have been funny 20 years ago. It might have been funny when we were in high school, but it it's not something you you laugh at anymore. And I, I think there there like is a are you talking about like like Walt? Or what? Like no, what? I just the the way it it, it and not not Walt at all. You're talking it, about or, the, the Charlie Fairley Brothers treatment of these characters, not so much yes. the characters themselves. Right, yeah, right. I the, get their their treatment of, of the characters. And because I think that character that you're talking about from there's something about Mary is especially problematic. Yes. And it, and it, to a degree that I don't think any character in this movie quite reaches. No, 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 no. But just just but, the way just the way they treat characters that, um, w 
as a society, we we handle with a little more sensitivity now. I think the and, pro- um, oh, go ahead. I, and I, I think I, I will say though, I think there is a a really good version of this that could be made today. Um, it just cannot be told in exactly the same way. Yeah, and, and the only even pro- as a comedy, even as a comedy, there's a great version of this that can be made today. I think the other problem is this movie shouldn't have been about Hal. I mean, as good as Jack Black is, and I, I love Jack Black. I'm his biggest effect. I think he gave the best performance of the 2010s in Bernie. I mean, maybe not the best, but uh, this movie should have been about Rosemary. I, I, I mean, she, upon rewatching, she, she's the most interesting character in this movie. The problem that Shal has, Hal has with his shallowness is not as compelling as Rosemary's issue with self-esteem and self-worth. And yes, I get that it would be harder to make this movie a comedy if you go that direction. However, what you're saying, Terry, that it may still have resonance today in 21, that's the direction I wish that the Fairley Brothers could have taken this movie in. And I think maybe would have made this movie have more of a lasting impact. Now, I disagree with you there. I think I think it's a much a much more interesting movie having Hal still as the main character. But adding in elements of what you just said, Totally could have fit. Todd's confused. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure how you could have ever gotten the movie made if it was if it was Rosemary's yeah. main character. Well, and you couldn't have had the movie. So, like another thing I was thinking about is like let's say let's say this movie was made without Gwyneth Paltrow. Let's just say that it was made with an actress who was plus sized, and instead of ever seeing Gwyneth Paltrow, we just you know, have to buy into this delusion that that Hal has, right? Well, then this movie isn't a comedy, right? Because the the comedy, the the, the biggest comedy beats in this movie, are, at least conventionally speaking, are when she falls over, and you know the table that the chair collapses, or when she's eating the candy apple and the pizza burger and and things like that. And it's 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 funny the contrast of Gwyneth Paltrow eating that, and I'm and I'm sure that's what like this that's what that's what made the movie greenlit from the studio perspective, but. I don't know. It's to, to me. It, this, that's why I think it shouldn't have been a comedy. Like for me, the, I mean, we'll we'll talk about best scene in this movie. But like one of the best scenes for me was the scene with Hal and Rosemary's father talking about how you know Rosemary's father doesn't believe that she's capable of having a boyfriend. Like that that was a really powerful moment in, in this kind of otherwise silly movie. Like, and I think that had a lot of potential you know resonance with people. Um, I just did you know. How many times do we need to see Rosemary eating? How many times do we need to see fat women in this movie eating or falling over? Like that is less Fairly Brothers, more, you know, genuine, sincere empathy for people, I guess. I don't know. But you're right. See, but it, it, has, it, 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 it wouldn't get greenlit that way. I mean, it, it is a slapstick comedy in that sense, but it's not. Like, it, I don't think it's necessarily a full-on comedy. There is a lot of dra- dramatic moments in it. And the ending scenes just show how big of uh, of ambition and heart the movie actually has and I, I think that that actually still works i think the best version of this movie isn't done by the fairlies it's more like a judd apatow project and how he's able to to take take topics like this like he does in 40 year old virgin and knocked up and and have the crazy com- comedic moments but still have that huge heart i feel like that in his care this movie could have been uh something something different I mean, I think we're going to Seth Rogen movie. I think to some degree there has been versions of that though. Like 
I mean, for example, Brittany, Brittany runs a marathon or I feel pretty. I mean, there have been attempts the last few years, some, some good, not some, not so good about depictions of female, um, physical, you know, attractiveness or what society deems unattractive. But I think, you know, um, this movie, it, it, it tries for something that is overly comic. And so in, in that sense, it's, I guess, different than the others, but I agree with Todd that it does have some dramatic components and that I think still makes the movie maybe worth, worth checking out, but also, I don't know, dated in some, in some ways. And in that, in that sense, it really shows, uh, very early on Jack Black's range. I mean, he kind of gets, gets labeled as this crazy funny man, like the, the new incarnation of John Belushi or something like that. That's not really who he was. I mean, he had a lot of range and he shows it in this movie. Well, I disagree with you there, Terry, because one of the things I wrote down is that this movie is like for Jack Black in this movie is like the 2020 Seattle Seahawks. Okay. Let Russ cook. You're not going to let Russ cook. You're going to have him sit in the, in the pocket and just be a pure passer and not exploit teams okay fine that's the way i feel about jack black in this movie jack black reads the script there's no room for him to improvise in this movie whatsoever and he is a great improvisational actor we know this it felt like jack black was being bogged down by the fairly brothers in this movie and when you look at school of rock when you look at bernie when you look at tenacious d when you look at his great performances let russ cook let jack black cook but but Jack Black's like a rookie in this, though. I mean, he's True. not necessarily yeah, a known entity. Well, I mean, this that's is like, why. yeah, it's well, like Russ's rookie year. Alexander riff off each other a lot in this movie. I mean, there is a lot of improv. You can tell. I don't know. I I I I wanted more of it. Is what is what I would say. I mean, yeah, you're right. I think maybe with maybe with some of the scenes with Jason Alexander, there was only one moment in this movie that was pure and unadulterated Jack Black comic genius in this movie, and that was the moment at the end of the movie when he comes into the house and starts making out with the maid that was a great moment <laughs> the only moment of the movie that i laughed out loud at and that was a something that only jack black could perfect that is a jack black move right there going in the party going to the maid marta or whatever her name is elga 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 that should have been a trivia question and uh slopping her with a big one that was a great moment. Although maybe uh, subliminally, I was thinking about that movie that they watch on The Office in like season five with Jack Black and Cloris Leachman. But I don't know. <laughs> oh, good call there. Good call. All Todd right, doesn't well, know what I'm talking about. Well, nope. let's uh, let's move on. Since we're talking so much about Jack Black, let's move into our first Mount Rushmore. And that is our Mount Rushmore of Jack Black. And... I don't think we can say that Shallow Howl is a consensus pick, but do we want to say that there... I, I don't think we want to say there is one right now. Or do we? It's so much better to have that conversation after. Okay. But let's let's do that. All right. So uh, I'm going to go... I, I think I know which direction Zach's going to go. So I'm going to go to Todd first. And, so uh, many Todd, directions. I, there are many directions. So Todd, uh, what's your submission to Jack Black's Mount Rushmore? Uh, so I think the role that he is most uh, most perfectly fits Jack Black and everything that he does well is Kung Fu Panda. If you're ever going to cast a panda, Jack Black is your number one and only choice. And mm -hmm. it's his humor in that, that that really makes those movies. There's, there's three of those things and probably video games and everything. It's because Jack Black's in it. And I think that that is like one of the defining roles of his career. Yeah, I would never pick that. 
and yet I totally respect it. I absolutely 100% agree with you that I couldn't I couldn't imagine any other voice in that role. He's perfect in it. And and that Loki that's what I was going to say too. I was going to say Kung Fu Panda cuz I thought you were I thought we were going to go in a different direction there. Uh okay. Uh so Todd says uh Todd says Kung Fu Panda. I'll go next and probably go with like all of our potential favorites and uh that's School of Rock. Um, I, I think nothing says, I mean, that's, that wraps Jack Black, like, into just, just, if you want to know what Jack Black is all about, that's you the just Belushi watch role. School of That, that <laughs> is, that is, that is the Belushi role, for sure. Uh, yeah, Dewey Finn is, is just, I mean, that's him at his most manic, but his, his most clever working with the group of kids and, and it brings out his, his musical side too. Um, that, yeah, that's, that's Jack Black at his finest and at his peak. And, um, there, there's nothing more Jack Black than School of Rock. So that's, that's my pick. So, so Zach, tell us a little bit more about Bernie. Well, first of all, I was going to pick, (laughs) I was going to pick the School of Rock if no one picked it. I think that is his greatest performance because it's the most challenging role of any of them. And it's his highest war also, but Bernie's a great performance, too, because it's a role that incorporates drama and pathos. And also, you look at this guy, Bernie Tita, and you wonder, like, is, is he all there? We don't really know his motivations. Is he just this guy with a, a part of gold who genuinely wants people to like the Shirley MacLaine character? Or is he just a money-grubbing manipulator? And we're never really sure. He always kind of... I, I, you know, he leaves us, there's a distance between uh, the viewer and him. And yet at the same time, we really, I really sympathize with him. Um, It's a, it's a great performance. And it makes me think that Jack Black could also really do drama if, if he tried. Now he was, he has done a few quasi dramatic roles. He was really good in this movie called um, Jesus's son. He has, it was one of his smaller roles before, right before high fidelity. Um, but I would love to see Jack Black branch out into more dramatic roles because I think he can do virtually anything. All right, so we've got we've got Kung Fu Panda, we've got School of Rock, we've got Bernie. What's going to be our our uh, our consensus pick here now? The other I ones would... I wrote down were uh, Shallow Hal. Uh, Be Kind, Rewind, which I think is a really underrated mm. movie. And uh, Margot at the Wedding, which is not a leading role, but that uh, that is his best acting. Yeah, he's 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 good in that. I, I would have to go with High Fidelity, but it's kind of the same role as School of Rock. So I would understand if we want to take it in a slightly different direction. It's similar, but he's definitely like it, it's showing him early on as a as kind of a supporting character. You could throw high fidelity and the cable guy kind of in that same that same mix of just supporting character, really interesting guy that you remember from it. Uh, let's see here. What else did I write down? Um, Tropic Thunder. Is someone going to mention Tro- that? Tropic Thunder. I mean, it could be his best movie overall. It could be his best movie, but I don't. I don't know. He's he's kind of distracting in it. Yeah, he's not. It's not his best work. It, it, yeah, it's not his his best thing. Um, I, everyone always craps on King Kong. Um, I don't think he's that bad in King Kong. Again, it's not one of his best. The one thing I wrote down that hasn't been said yet, um, he's really funny in the Muppets as himself. Um, 
I, I don't know. It, it's just a funny role, and it, it's kind of goofy and silly, but I, I'd go high fidelity over that. He also I'm, punted Baxter in Anchorman. He did, he did punt yeah. Baxter. The bad man punted Baxter. Hit him in the head <laughs> with a burrito. <laughs> and I think there is something to be said about Jumanji. I mean, that is, you know, that's, that is the, you know, the current, you know, Brooklyn Nets of who's who of great comic talents. Uh, but he holds his own in that movie for sure. And he's hilarious in it. I mean, him as a, as having the brain of a teenage girl. I mean, I'd watch that every, every time. Give me more of that. All right. So what are we going with here? I would personally go with high fidelity. I understand Margot at the wedding though, because I need to rewatch that movie, but I remember he was the most impressive in that movie. Yeah. I would need to rewatch, uh, Margot at the wedding as well. Um, so with knowing that my my vote would probably probably be high fidelity as well. <laughs> Which didn't even make Todd's list. I know. I, I was I would vote probably be kind rewind. See, that's another one I need to rewatch. It's been way too long since I've seen that one. I remember I liked it though. I remember most death being pretty good in that movie too. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know. I mean, I like High Fidelity a lot. I've only seen it once, and but it is a supporting part for him, so that's why it wasn't one that I was really going for. It's a supporting part, but come on. I mean, he's like coming off the bench draining threes. I mean, he's the Robert Ori of that movie. He's the big shot Jack, you know? He is like, uh, every moment that he's on that screen, it radiates him, and uh, it's a really high-war performance. After watching High Fidelity, I mean... He's really basically playing what Lester Bangs is in uh, Almost Famous. Like after watching that, Philip Seymour Hoffman like based his role on it's the same year. Fidelity. Yeah, true. But I feel like they're they're kind of the same. I don't know if I can say ones. I can ever think of another character quite like Barry in that movie. I can think of people in real life who are like Barry, but I can't think from the cinematic universe anyone who's quite like that. I mean. Listen, when we meet Barry, he's blasting on I'm Walking on Sunshine, and he's making fun of Rob's music choice. And then he makes fun of Rob's girlfriend's mother dying. I mean, he is, like, all over the place. He's a wild man. And then he actually plays music at the end of the movie. I don't know. I think it's a great performance. But I'll go with whatever. I mean, right, I, I'm, we, could, I'm, we could say that, I guess. Yeah, let, let, let's go with that. Two out of three. Hey, two out of three ain't bad. I, I am going to throw out there, uh, there is a movie that is currently in post-production on his IMDb page that I'm now really looking forward to that's supposed to come out this year. It's called Apollo 10 and a half. It was on my um, Oscar predictions for next year. Yeah, written and directed by Richard Linkletter, uh, starring Zachary Levi, Jack Black, Glenn Powell. Uh, and it's a coming-of-age story set in the suburbs of Houston in the summer of 1969 centered around the historic Apollo 11 moon landing. Can we just already say this is the almost sideways most anticipated movie of 2021? Seriously. Let's, let's like put it, have them put it on the posters, okay? Wow. Rick, I'm, I'm Black there. Black space. I mean. Well, Jesse Plum's in a Scorsese movie is, I mean, that's number one, right? I think that, that, this is number one. <laughs> is that, uh, DiCaprio and Jesse Plum's in a Scorsese movie. Like, that's that's number one, and there's no number two. <laughs> I'd rather see, I'd rather see Jack Black on his way to the moon in a Rick, Rick movie. As Stefan would say, this film has everything. Um, yeah. Anyways, 
All right, so there there we go. So our, our Mount Rushmore is Kung Fu Panda, School of Rock, Bernie, and High Fidelity. All right, now let's talk about our other Mount Rushmore here. And I think this one's gonna be gonna be interesting. So Shao Hao was directed by the Farrelly brothers. And so uh, I thought it'd be fun to look at a Mount Rushmore of the greatest directing pairs of all time. Um, and I think we can give a consensus here. Our consensus pick, Coen Brothers. Can yeah. we just do that? Okay. So Coen Brothers is the consensus pick. So now we're each going to submit uh, a pair of of directors that that direct together as our as our picks. So. Is this I'm, for like individual movies? This is for like a body of work for two directors together, right? Yes, yes. I mean, it can be for the greatness of of you know one movie, but yeah, we're gonna. We're, that's what we're going with. All right, I'm gonna go first on this one, and I'm gonna. This might be a little a little off the wall, but I'm gonna go with it. Uh, I'm gonna go with Gene Kelly and Stanley Donnan. Uh, so you who, did do that. <laughs> what? Only, they only had one movie, right? They, they did three together. They did oh, three, three together. Uh, they did On the Town, um, It's Always Fair Weather, and Singing in the Rain. Uh, but I think, I, I, and I'm the only one of the three of us that has seen all three of those, I think. So I, that's why I'm the one that's picking it. Uh, and all three movies are great. Um, Gene Kelly and his ability to direct uh, dance numbers is amazing. And Stanley Donnan definitely adds something to that mix too. And a lot of people would say singing in the rain is one of the greatest movies of all time. Uh, and so uh, it, I, you don't get much better than that. I mean, the greatness of singing in the rain, but also the other two movies are, are very, very well done as well. So, uh, so that's my pick. Um, it's kind of a recent thing of doing the director pairs and it's usually siblings, which is kind of interesting. So, uh, we'll go to Zach next. Well, I'm not going to go with the pick that you think I'm going to go with. I'm going to make things more interesting and go with the Safdie brothers. I'm going to take Todd's pick. I have to. because ah. I think what the Darden brothers do is, is brilliant and genius, but let's be honest, they're also working in a very realist, naturalistic genre that is sort of fly on the wall to some degree. It's not to take anything away from them. But what the Safdie brothers have done with their filmography is one great movie after another, redefining themselves with different characters, different motivations, different settings, different backdrops, but having a consistency in terms of polish and quality, they're geniuses. And I, I bow down to the greatness of the cinematic throne that they now currently inhabit. So I, I listen, I've, I, I've seen all the Darden brothers movies. I love their work, but honestly, at this point, if there's a Darden Brothers movie out and there's a there's a Safety Brothers movie coming out, I think I picked the Safety Brothers. We have a vote for the homeless rabbis. Yeah, I thought for sure Zach was going Darden. So I thought for sure Terry was going with Lord Miller. But um, uh, oh, that'd, that'd be a good one too. Mine is I think it's obvious, but mine is going to be all along. It's the Duplass Brothers. Mm. Mark ah. and Jay Duplass, they've made like six movies. And unfortunately, now they're both like really legitimate actors. So they don't really make movies anymore. I think their last movie was Jeff Who Lives at Home. That was like eight years ago. But uh, Cyrus and the Puppy Chair and Baghead, like th these guys are great indie directors and they never compromised. They made two great TV shows as well together. Uh, yeah. The Duplass brothers, that, 
that that was what I was always probably going to go with. But yeah, I mean, the Darden brothers being on the on the list too is still a, it's weird to leave them off. But yeah, and, and Lord Miller is another is another good good pair with the Deadpool movies and the Jump Street movies, and uh, and um, oh, no, movie? I guess they didn't do Deadpool. No, they didn't do Deadpool. The Lego movies, right? Lego movies, yeah. I, didn't one of them write the first Deadpool or was involved in it? And one of them was involved in Spider-Man Spider-Verse movie too. Um, yeah. Uh, the other ones that I was, I had written down, I had written down, um, Anna Bowden, Ryan Fleck. Yeah. Uh, that, that's a pretty good pair too. And, um, the Wachowskis, I mean, the, the, the brilliant originality of the matrix and they, they've kept on trying to, to find that again and with no success, but, um, but the Matrix alone is is worth mentioning them. The other ones I was thinking of were uh, Powell and Pressburger. You know, but that was another, obviously, a classic one. Uh, and the other one I wrote down was uh, Requa and Fakara, who do a lot of, like, indie or movies. I Love You, Philip Morris, Crazy Stupid Love. Uh, and they're coming out with the new Harley Quinn and Joker movie. Like, uh, they're a really interesting pair, and they nobody ever talks about them. Zach, did you have any others? Oh, uh, I was just going to say Warren Beatty and Buck Henry. Can we say them? I don't know. How, I don't know how many more movies they made. Um, same with the Hughes brothers. I mean, Menace to Society is a great movie. I don't really know what what else they've done, but that was a great combination. And then they never really made a movie. They never really made movies together. But Michael Cimino and Clint Eastwood would have made a great filmmaking duo because we all know the grandiosity of Cimino. And Eastwood was the only one who told him to shut up and, you know, just go with it so he could make the links by 3 p.m. They would have, they were the best hypothetical filmmaking pair. All right. All right. So our Mount Rushmore. Greta and Gerwig and Joe Swanberg worked together once and they, they both ended up making the same kinds of movies on their own later. But I was also thinking about that. So, so our Mount Rushmore is the Coen brothers. Uh, Gene Kelly, Stanley Donnan, the Safdie brothers, and the Duplass brothers. That's a great list. That's a great list. All right. Well, let's recast this thing. Uh, and we're only recasting three roles because really there's only three roles worth mentioning in here. Uh, so let's let's see what we came up with. Starting with Hal, played by Jack Black. Uh, Zach, you're first. Who's your Hal? This was extremely hard to recast. Um, and I, I definitely had a uniting tie with all the people that I recast and my director. Um, I went with John Legend. I'm just going to leave it there oh, for now. Okay. Okay. He's not the greatest looking guy in the world. He has talked about women's uh, appearances in his music. And uh, he should act. I, Jack Black had, did not have a leading role until this movie. I would like to see John, John Legend in a leading role. Not this leading role. <laughs> I, can't, I, can't, I can't think of a worse pick. Like, if I, was if I really racked my brain, I don't think I'd come up with a worse pick than that. I, can I say my other picks? It makes, I, I can understand your reaction to that, but it makes more sense with my other picks. Well, who's your director? Maybe that'll help it. My director is Ratman. Director so, of your number one movie of this right. this past year. Okay. So I mean, we're making we're going for a musical, 
African-American Shallow Hal and my Rosemary, since we're, we're already going to do Just it. Just go for it. Just go for it. Is Lizzo. Come on. I would watch that. I know, I know John Legend didn't make sense, but in that context, that is a movie I would watch. Make it musical. Make it more uh, diverse casting-wise. Give these people roles in movies than they've never acted before. I would like to see it. John Legend was in La La Land. Oh, that's true. Okay, well, he wasn't a leading role. But you could you could have gone with like Rada Blank or something like well, that. Well, I, I wanted to go, I wanted to go with an actor. I was thinking like Kendrick Lamar because he's been accused of sexism in some quarters. I don't know. I don't know. This was a diff, this was a tough movie. You try recasting this movie. Let's see what you oh, come I have up the, with. I have the best picks. There's only one choice. Well, who's your All Mauricio right. while you're at your ridiculous? Oh, uh, former New York Mets World Series pitcher Ron Darling. <laughs> All right. Well, Todd. Way too old. <laughs> Way too old. Todd, who, who's your how? Uh, I mean, there's only one choice. It's Adam Devine, right? I mean, he, unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> that was that was one of the first ones I thought of too. Just go, just run down your whole your whole list since we already um, did that. Uh, Rosemary is uh, Amanda Seafried. C- 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 <laughs> which is another pretty much an easy choice. And Mauricio, the best choice is uh, Aziz Ansari. I, oh, that, that I, I feel like he could have played Hal as well. It's not that difficult of a, a movie to recast, I don't think. But I mean, those two, I think Divine and Ansari could, are interchangeable in those two parts. But the, I mean, either way, that movie's going to be great. So you're saying that Seyfried dons a fat suit. See, that's what I wanted to get away from in my casting. I, I think if this movie was to be recast today, I don't think they could get away with a fat suit. They still do fat suits in movies. Yeah, but not. I mean, th- this this is a movie that is. Well, I don't know. Okay, whatever, whatever. I like I like Aziz. I'm sorry. That's 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 inspired casting. All right. So uh, so how? Uh, yeah, I, Adam Devine was like the first one to pop in my head, but I didn't want to go with Adam Devine because, yeah, I I, I just didn't want to. He's, so, he's a Cornhusker fan, though, Terry. Come on. Let's, is he really? Oh, I, man. Yeah, he was born in. I think he was born in Omaha. That should clinch it right there. So, well, the one I came up with was uh, Beck Bennett from SNL. Um, I, I think he he kind of has a very similar similar vibe to him. Yeah, and um, I think the SNL direction could work for this one. I was trying to think about that too. Beck Bennett actually was one I was not thinking of, but that's that's not bad if you're going that way. So, so my so the other two I was thinking of in terms. of of the the like career trajectories of the other ones. So my Rosemary thinking about like Oscar winning actress young uh that's going to take a random turn that is that you wouldn't necessarily expect. So I was thinking I went with Jennifer Lawrence, but Emma Stone would also fit into that that role a little bit of of just young Oscar winning actress in in the recent history that's going to you know take this ridiculous comedy um she and then that with aloha yeah that's why i went with jennifer lawrence instead uh yeah um and then my mauricio uh so you've got um you've got a uh, a comedic actor fresh off of a a landmark run in a iconic uh sitcom on tv i went with simon helberg yeah it's similar to i'm sorry yeah, yeah. That's pretty cool. Oh, true, true, because he had Parks and Rec. I um, like my cast the best, and I think it's because one way to fix this movie in 2021 would be to make it a musical. I think that would 
that would bring in more audiences. So you agree that the music is a very important part of the movie. I said that. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would just like the actors to sing in this movie. I could see this movie being a musical. I, I, I think that's what was missing from it. That's what I wanted. I wanted more Jack Black. I wanted more improvisation. I wanted more music. We know Gwyneth Paltrow can sing. She was in that uh, country music movie that Terry watched about a year ago. So, you know, there's musical talent throughout this movie. All right. Who would Nicolas Cage play? Obviously, Rosemary's father. I think that's a... <laughs> and I think he would really try to go for what Joe Ventrilo was, was trying to do in this movie, which is the Irish accent um, with a lot of makeup. The answer is uh, Tony Robbins. That's what I said, too. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, yeah. Come out of him! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I could totally see that. I could totally see it. Okay. Uh, let, let's start rattling through these highest war performance. Uh, Todd. Okay. I I mean, it's hard not to say Renee Kirby as Walt because he actually does have spina bifida and he walks on all fours, which is Kind of, I mean, and he is awesome in in this movie too. I, I I can't imagine them actually trying to recast that with somebody who is who doesn't have that uh, that disability. So, I'm gonna go with that, and I'll I'll leave uh, I'll leave the more obvious ones to you guys. Dude, that was totally my pick too. That <laughs> was my because I mean, it it, it was it you you got to think it was one of those where they they were like, hey, we've got this guy. Let's 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 write a role around him because yeah, that guy is amazing. Like he is, I mean, forget his acting chops. That this the fact that he exists as that is just outstanding and incredible. And the fact that they wrote him into the movie as like the coolest dude in the room is a is just awesome. So that was my highest war as well. If I had um, an ass, I'd wipe it with twenties. That's, <laughs> that's a Todd line. That's such a good line. That's such a good line. Um. I, I don't know. I can't. I, I can't really get. I mean, Jack Black definitely has to be on the on the high war list as well. But uh, that that was the first one I thought of. Zach, how about you? I went with Tony Robbins um, because I think he was someone in two thousand one that people maybe had heard of. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many he had a cachet. Right. I, I I think like I mean maybe it's even cheating to say he's he's the highest war. But I mean who else? I. I that grounds the movie in a certain sort of strange reality and that it's not a fictional character. It's someone from the real world. So I don't know who else really would, would fit that. Um, maybe Dr. Phil in 2001, maybe, but I don't think it, it works quite as well. And I think he's actually pretty good in the movie in, in his few scenes. Yeah. I, I'd agree with that. All right. Worst performance, Zach. Uh, okay. I know, I'm not sure if I found the actor for this, but I went with pretty Ralph. Um, <laughs> pretty boy I, Ralph. Pretty boy it's, Ralph. It's the same character. It's the same actor, isn't it? Oh, is it? Oh, okay. I, yeah, I was trying. I wasn't to sure for... if it was the same actor or not. Well, his acting dramatically improved when he wasn't as good looking. So <laughs> I don't. I, I I actually thought they were different actors. So I guess maybe he he is a really <laughs> good actor. It was just he was bad in the performance as Pretty Ralph because he was like, "Yo, Rosemary, let's get." I I don't know. It was just it it was awkward and. It was like he was. Re it was like it looked like he was reading off uh, off a, a card or something. I don't know. He was looking like off in the distance. It just didn't look right. 
Uh, yeah, well, and, and and you can say you could lump Ron Darling into that too, but I think he definitely had a had a voiceover, like like he was he was lip syncing to to that to a voice track on that, so it was the same voice no matter which Lee Boy you were looking at. Well, and I guess it just brings up the issue too, and maybe this is in flaws. Like, so Halsey's men as attractive or unattractive? Why are these the only two men in the movie who change appearance based on their relative goodness? Because like, you hadn't seen them before. I, I guess, but what? But that's the only time in the movie that any men change appearance based on their, you know, morality, right? So it, it's just sort of an inconsistency in the in the in the script. Everyone else who's around, he'd already seen before, I think. Is but it's about Shalahal needing a gal. Could Tony Robbins doesn't talk about that. It, he's talking. He's men. I don't know. It's just it. It was it well, was a weird part of the movie. Children it also change. I guess that's true. Well, I don't know. But it's well, it's not a great performance. That's where we started. Although maybe it's a better performance than I give him because I didn't realize he was also um, ugly Ralph. <clears throat> Normal uh, looking Ralph. <laughs> Let me clarify. All right, Todd, you go next. Uh, so I went with, uh, what's his name? A Sas Sasha Joseph Newlinger, who plays young Hal, who is also the director of one of the best documentaries of 2020 called Rewind. Oh, wow, really? That's him? <laughs> Oh my God! Yeah. I think they mentioned that in the in in Rewind as well. Did but, they? Uh, yeah, wow, but he's a I terrible totally actor. See it. <laughs> he's, he's a terrible actor, and uh, the, yeah, like, I... he just has this like really weird look on his face the entire scene when Bruce McGill is like going off about, you know, you need to find a girl with the great toddies or whatever he says. I don't know. I mean, it, like he's just like, huh? I don't know. It's a bad performance. Oh my god! I mean, you are just blowing my mind right now, Todd. I did not make that connection at all, and now I can totally see it. I didn't realize that they were that prominent of a family. I thought they were just like normal people in, in like Philadelphia, weren't they? Yeah, I don't think that he was. He wasn't. He never became famous. I don't think it was right. one of his only acting roles. So I, I don't know. Maybe it's just some random thing he did. His parents he... were creative people, though. I remember that. But anyway, that's that's amazing. That's kind of awesome. That, that's kind of like finding out that the twins in 22 Jump Street are the ones that wrote Judas and the Black Messiah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that either. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. The twins that are across the hall from from the guys in the in the dorm, they they're the ones that wrote Judas and the Black Messiah. Kind of like learning that former World Series New York Mets pitcher Ron Darling is in a Fairly Brothers movie. <laughs> not playing Ron Darling. I think that's the best part is that he's not playing himself. He's just playing it's like we need a pretty Hawaiian. Go get Ron Darling. <laughs> All right. Well, um, my I, I'll throw out two for worst performance. One of them is uh, is Nan Martin as Nurse Tanya Peeler in the hospital. I, she's just oh, the I old lady. Yeah, the old lady. It's yeah. so weird that she she her voice even changes when she goes from old to young like that. I don't know. That that's the one thing I never. Yeah, it's like the only one that didn't have a voiceover for whatever. Yeah, that's a good and one. And the the other the other option I'm gonna throw out there. I didn't really like Jason Alexander in this. I didn't think he fit. I didn't think he he worked. I I thought it was it was kind of a kind of a lousy performance. So yeah, I, I think he's awesome. He's just too old. I take back my pick, Terry. I I agree. I think Jason Alexander doesn't work in this movie at all. Now, what's hard about it is that it's a it's an annoying, unlikable character, but. It's also the same character that he played in in Pretty Woman, essentially. Um, he just you're right. He, I, I think the comic timing is off. He's not a really likable character. He gets the last moment in this movie, the last moment, and it's just I, 
I don't find him that funny in this movie. It's it's sort of an extension of George Costanza. It, it makes me wish that I was watching Seinfeld instead. Yeah, and, and I feel like that that might be why he was he was picked. Like, we need someone that is overly critical about women. Let's get someone from Seinfeld. I mean, there's some there's some plot lines from Seinfeld episodes in this. I mean, there there were several Seinfeld episodes about you know like Jerry and George dissecting. She has man hands. Exactly. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she wears that, the same thing every day, things like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was basically every Seinfeld episode. Yeah. The other choice right. I had was uh, Manon von Gherkin as Lindy, because I think she's out of place. Like, I don't think she belongs in the movie at all. She's like, it's like when Shannon Elizabeth shows up in American Pie. It's like, why? What is, what is this person doing here? All right. The amazing Larry Big Tim High Roller Award for the best minor character goes to I'll go first. I have Lee boy. Shocker. I know. Well, I mean, <laughs> we'll blend in. I blend in. <laughs> I, I mean, how, how awesome would it just be to like, my job is to sit outside this Peace Corps office and play my ukulele. I mean, that that's, you, you gotta love that guy. You gotta love that guy. I think he gets more interesting when he, uh, when he's not seen through the, uh, the rose colored glasses. So, um, that, that's, that's my, that's my pick. Uh, Zach, how about yeah, you? I will say that when there's that shot of Lee boy and normal looking Ralph and Jason Alexander in the Jeep at the end of the movie, I'm thinking this could be a good movie. This could be the TV <laughs> show right here that I wanted to watch the whole time. Um, but anyway, uh, my I big go on a road trip or something. Exactly. Yeah. I would, I would actually watch that. So I think that reiterates uh, Terry's point. But uh, I chose, I went a little different with this category. I didn't choose a character. I went with a place in this movie that I want to know more about. And that is the Arboretum Fitness for Women. Like, do you guys know that scene? So apparently the the scene in the gym where they're both exercising, there's an exterior shot that's about like 1.4 seconds long. And the name of it is the Arboretum Arboretum Fitness for Women. And I want to know more about that. And that's where Hal is working out yeah yeah like first of all why are they at a fitness place for women a gym for women and Probably i didn't realize girls. i guess but like what i didn't realize there were gyms for women i i, I want to know more i mean they're not that blatant about it but there are gyms called curves but this was a gym it, it was <laughs> named and it was also named for a tr- for arboretum like trees is that what we're talking about like for women it, it was in the title I want to know more about this place. Where where is this movie supposed to take place? Like you would think I was wondering like, that too. It's supposed to be like I mean it, it, it some things imply New York, but this was shot in Charlotte. I thought <laughs> it was I thought it was Boston, but then that one lady says she's coming from Boston, but like that would make sense why you get the Irish boss and those exteriors of the city look a lot like Boston. There were a couple scenes that were shot in or a couple things that But says, then they go to the mountains. I mean, I you're I don't know. It's yeah, confusing. I, don't know. I feel like how at one point says Montana doesn't he say Montana at one point? Oh yeah, this weird. this movie's definitely a Missoula type movie. I I, 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 I know. Can totally see it, that. It makes no sense, but I feel like he says at one point that it's Montana. I could be wrong. They probably do serve pizza burgers in Montana, though. I don't. I can't think of many other places <laughs> that would. Uh, that that has me intrigued. I just want a pizza burger. I just want to know what that is. I know. I, I couldn't even picture it. Is it more pizza or is it more burger? I, I don't know. It's more pizza because the pizza comes before the burger, right? They are at a pizza place. Maybe the buns are pieces of pizza. 
it sounds like this this should happen and it probably has happened somewhere maybe in arkansas maybe i missed that we need we need to make this happen if it hasn't happened before okay todd who do you got uh i went with the fuel pizza waiter because i love he has like the best line in the movie or the best delivery of a line where he he's like he's like man what's this shit made out of and he's just like uh like steel (laughs) yeah okay (laughs) and that guy and then like after that he's like walking away looking at it like wow this is amazing how did this happen that character is awesome I'm looking up what a pizza burger is, but I, I don't know. It kind of looks like uh, just like mozzarella cheese and pepperoni on top of the, the hamburger patty. Oh, and uh, Drew Brees just retired. I just got an alert for that. Anyways. Breaking news. Is Andrew Breaking Luck coming news. back? First Andrew Luck, then Drew Brees. It happens here, folks. Whenever we record quarterbacks retire all right biggest stick man (laughs) who's the biggest stick man in this movie todd what do you got i mean i went with pretty boy ralph not not just normal ralph but pretty boy ralph is definitely the biggest stick man because you know he's got the heart of a saint you know and you know he's got a halo around his head whatever and uh yeah pretty boy ralph yeah i i I said i said good looking ralph and lee boy but um part of me also wants to say you know Ralph, if he could be, I don't know. I don't even know if that, if, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if he can be, but if he could, he definitely would be. But you can't go within five uh, feet of him without getting flaked on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. Good, good looking, or pretty boy, Ralph or Lee boy and, uh, and Walt. So. Oh, Walt. You didn't oh, say I, Walt. I, I, who did I say? You said, you just said Ralph. Oh, I didn't mean. I, I meant Walt. Sorry, I, Walt. Oh. Well, yeah, Walt. Walt's if he could be, if he could, if he could be, he would be the biggest stick man. But I, I honestly don't know if that's that's physically possible. All right, Zach. Uh, I went with Tony Robbins because, according nice. to his Wikipedia page, um, he had three children from two former marriages. Then he married another woman, impregnated her, and he fathered a girlfriend with a former. Or excuse me, fathered a child with a with another girlfriend. So uh, that that is some solid. That's it's messy stick man. That is like Sean Kemp sort of stick man, but it is stick man um, pedigree nonetheless. And there is no one else from this movie that I could possibly choose. He said he only has been with one woman in the movie. Right. That. that but in. But see, it blurs the line between real life and fiction. He is Nerd Tony lines. Robbins, but in real life. His stick man, but you know, it's also possible he's just lying in the movie. So, whatever happened to Tony Robbins? Like, I remember him being a thing when this came out, and now now he just like is gone. According to Wikipedia, in 2018, he became a vegan. Well, now that's that's important (laughs) to know. All right, who's the Billy Bats douchebag? Oh, I'm going first. I'll go first. Uh, My Billy Bats douchebag is uh, Jill. Because she's about as shallow as any of the others. With a, with a, Jill is the neighbor. neighbor, Jill, your neighbor. (laughs) Um, but but the real answer is probably Mauricio. Can we talk about Jill for a second, though? Because I had some questions about her. So if she, I mean, apparently she is a shallow character because she only is interested in Hal after seeing him with Rosemary. So why doesn't she look 
because he already Different. has seen her. He would never. Yeah. How would never act the same way if he had or if it, the people so that he already knows look different? You're saying that the potion that Tony Robbins does it only affects women that who he's never seen before. Yeah, who he's never met. Who's never met. And men. And, and men, men apparently. Which is why which is why Ralph and Lee Boy work. Yeah. That is interesting. Okay. And that's why Jill doesn't change. That that answers a question that I had watching this movie. That also explains <laughs> why Mauricio doesn't get more ugly. Oh, it's not. Well, listen, there's not you can't really go much beyond the bottom of the barrel uh, with all due respect to Jason Alexander. I mean, the, the, the sod was leaking there for a little bit, but. Uh, yeah, anyways, Zach, who do you got? I, I, I went with Will Coogan and Lyndon Byers as punk one and punk two. I think they're right. the ones that uh, go at, <clears throat> and uh, uh, insult Rosemary in front of um, Jack Black. Uh, yeah, they're they're jerks. I'll take the low hanging fruit there. Yeah, what do they say? Like, uh, better hurry. The food might already be gone or something. Yeah, those those are definitely douchebags. The one I went with was Kyle Glass as Artie, because he uh, and he and Jen they both like beat her oh, yeah, the yeah. without really saying without saying that Hal is too ugly to date like a tr- an attractive girl. Oh, but he, he actually says it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they both they beat around the bush for a bit, and then it makes them both really look bad. And uh, I don't these know. are the coworkers, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. They 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 were my second biggest douches, not for that reason, but because they seem to be only friends with Hal when he becomes successful, or at least they chastise him when he becomes successful and accuses him of not having sincere interest for Rosemary. And I don't know. That's I mean, it was well, they, a d- are, douchey yeah, accusation. Um, just you know, well, what do they and, say? And, like, just break up with her, like, or we didn't know you were gonna do that. Like, I don't know. I, I guess it's the same thing that Rosemary's father says, but to to come at it as as his friends, I think, is a little douchey. the The nice part about that is it's just great to see the other half of Tenacious D on the screen with him. So true. Uh, all right, best scene. What's the best scene in the movie? Uh, Zach, you're first. Uh, I guess I would go. I mean, I said earlier that I, I, the, the scene to me that was the most sincere scene was when he goes to Rosemary's family's house and has the conversation with the father, and the father basically reveals that you know Rosemary's incapable of having love or affection because of the way she looks. That scene belongs in a better movie, um, but if I'm just saying a more comic scene and I'm just sort of, you know, ranking this movie based on what it is, not what it isn't. I, I would have to go when Tony Robbins and Jack Black get stuck in the elevator. All right, Todd. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like a, a couple hours later, he just got his pants off. Yeah. I was going to say that too. I love that. <laughs> his pants are off. Yeah. That's a good one. Um, I, I mean, I, I love the last scene. Um, or, or at the party, uh, I think that 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 is like a really sort of like, uh, really kind of like a tearjerker moment, like really corny tearjerker moment. But what I'm gonna go with is, uh, when Tony Robbins and Mauricio are talking outside the building, because that I mean that that, that is where Jason Alexander shines in this. He, like he, he's in the middle of a sentence, he's like, Jesus, you got a really big noggin, and and then and then he's like, I have a chapter in my new book about blurting. You should you you should buy it. And he's like, Yeah, I'll probably look into that. And then they just keep on the conversation. Like th- th- that's the kind of thing w- is why Jason Alexander's in the movie. And th- th- I-, I love that scene. It's a really 
important scene, and yeah, I, I like that one. I'm gonna go with the opening scene uh, because, honestly, I, I find I think it's just hilarious that that his the father's final words to to his son are that, and two, honestly, I don't know if I've ever seen that scene before. I just watched the movie. <laughs> like I've always I've always just kind of felt like I catch this movie like a little bit into it, and now knowing that that's the first scene. I honestly don't know if I've ever seen this movie all the way through before. I just watched it a couple days ago. So I did not know it was Bruce McGill until this time watching it. And I did not remember or Molly all Shannon that he was a, or that. Yeah. Or, or I didn't remember that he was a reverend. Yeah. <laughs> that makes it even better. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Um, flaws and conspiracy theories. Do any of you have any that you would like to share? Yeah, I have some. Um, so, uh, so Hal has a cell phone, right? He answers his phone a couple of times, but when he calls Rosemary, uh, after he passes her in in the hallway of that restaurant, he gets onto a payphone and calls her. And they do that because if she had seen that he was calling on her cell, because she has a cell phone, like, uh, why is he using a payphone? He's using a payphone that so that she would answer the phone. I don't. I don't understand that. Probably you know I mean? because probably because uh, minutes on a payphone were cheaper than minutes on a cell phone at that point. But he had a cell phone and he was using Good it. Point. He used it sparingly, but still, I, I, it, it, I mean, that doesn't add up. Maybe that just doesn't age well or something. Um, I also think that they really exaggerate Rosemary's weight. Like she weighs what, like maybe four bills like there's like she's not breaking chairs and the boat thing is just silly that, that she would be completely almost tipping a boat forward because yeah, jack black different. is not skinny either he's, he's over 200 pounds i mean it's it's not that i mean it's not that absurd uh i also want to know under what circumstances can you barbecue at a at a community pool because that guy is just like roasting some chicken like right next to a community pool that cannot be allowed <laughs> I've never seen that before. <laughs> uh, and I um, I also just want to know why Sandler never worked with the Farrelly brothers, because this is exactly the kind of movie he's making at the time. Like, Big Daddy is a similar movie in, in like, tone and, like, with, with, like, a big heart and stuff. Like, th- like I think that would have been really interesting. Like, Fifty First States or something like that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it seems like a, a pair that should have happened at some point, but maybe Sandler wants more part of the writing part than uh, this pair of the brothers were given but i don't know that was just a thought it's a good thought zach did you have anything yeah I, I had a few so apparently rosemary and walt know each other but hal doesn't know that they know each other and yet he doesn't think to describe walt to her that would make it very clear that they're bringing walt with them do you guys know the scene i'm talking about like what's he gonna i mean I don't know. Like he didn't he think to say Walt has spina bifida. He walks on all fours and he can't he he can't put twenty dollar bills up his ass. Like I don't know. It it just seemed it, it seemed ridiculous that he didn't describe Walt in a way that would let Rosemary know that hey it's Walt okay. I, if they know each other. Um, okay. I want to know what about this Beatles reunion show with Eric Clapton <laughs> playing in for John. Yeah, <laughs> only seventy fan. only seventy people there. That's I, I just want to know more about it. Um, one of the top 10 most annoying th- things in movies is when they show a scene from inside a character's car and the headrests are missing. 
because usually that it's easier for a camera to be set up if the headrests are gone. And that was the exact way it was in um, in Hal's Jeep. I just I always get annoyed by that in movies and TV shows when the headrests are removed. Um, I think that I have a conspiracy theory that um, Mr. Shanahan, Rosemary's father, is actually the same character as the uh, pirate boss on the seven and a half floor in uh, Being John Malkovich, who builds the tower. I'll build a tower for ye. Yeah, short, short one or whatever. Yeah, um, they're the same character. And then I guess my biggest, it's not a flaw or, or anything else. I think it's actually more of a compliment to the movie, um, exercising restraint. I don't know how the song Fat Bottom Girls wasn't in this movie. And it goes back to the, the soundtrack. It's why I can't totally embrace Todd's theory that this is the greatest comic soundtrack of the 21st century. But uh, you're not going to have Fat Bottom Girls in there. Now, originally I said, where's that Mika song, Big Girls Are Beautiful? But that apparently didn't come out until after this movie. But I'm just saying, you know, if this movie is going for all the greatest hits, then you need Queen in there. I have one more thing I want to we're at it, Big Bottom by Spinal Tap. Sorry, go ahead, Todd. <laughs> I mean, it's just, I mean, it's not related to that. But uh, so he uh, he tells Mauricio that uh, Rosemary teaches self-esteem to sick kids. And so she and he goes and meets them at the hospital. And he's like, there's nothing I can catch from these kids. Right. He's in the burn unit. How does he not realize that there's a giant sign right when he yeah. goes in that this is the burn unit? How does he not know that like these aren't actually sick kids? He just ignores the sign, yeah. It mu must. He ignores must. everything. So, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That's weird. That, that's weird how they put that together. I had something, and I was going off of something that Todd said, and I completely forgot what it was. So we're just going to move on. And if I think of it, we'll, we'll come back to it. LVP, MVP. Uh, I'm going to go first. Uh, my LVP is uh, Tails. Because that's like the the stupidest random comedy trope that they try to pull off in this movie. And it's just, that was just horrible. Horrible. So, that's my LVP. My MVP is Gwyneth Paltrow. Because uh, we already talked about how she had definite, some definite um, cred, some, some cachet that went along with her. That gave this film some credibility that it normally wouldn't have had. I mean, it was only, what, three years before this that she won the Oscar for Best Actress. So the fact that she was in it definitely made it bigger than it probably should have been. So uh, so that's my MVP. Yeah, definitely a better actress in the movie. Probably deserved. Uh, yes. Yeah. All right, Zach. LVP, MVP. All right, well, um, my MVP of the movie is also uh, Gwyneth Paltrow for some of the same reasons we've talked about. But I actually legitimately, in spite of my criticisms of this movie, think she is great in it. It might be her best performance. I don't know. But um, I, it's, it's, it's hard for me to have some of the criticisms of this movie that I have knowing how good she is in this movie, particularly with her facial expressions and her reactions to... Um, Jack Blatt's compliments of her early in the movie, I felt like those were real, sincere, genuine moments. And I think she was uh, really impressive at conveying that. So I think she is the only thing that sustains this movie 20 years later. I think everything else I could do away with, but she is 
she's really good in this movie. And that you know goes along saying the LVPs are are the the Fairley brothers. I mean, I, I think that this this is not the this, they are not the directors for this material. Um, I think that you know Apatow is 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 an interesting direction. Um, but I, honestly, I, I wish this movie had been more serious, and I I wish that um, they hadn't gone for the Fairley Brothers type of humor. Let's get away from that. Let's make something that's more sincere, more real, and less um, exaggerated. Like the scene you just talked about, Todd, with the boat. It's, and it's the same with the Jeep at the end of the movie. Like, come on. We How many of those stupid jokes do we need? We get the message. And that's the Fairley Brothers. That was their problem with Green Book. Lack of empathy. Lack of talking to other people outside their realm. I, I, my guess is that the amount of plus-sized women that the Fairley Brothers talk to in the creation of this movie is probably zero. So um, I don't know. I, I, I wish they were more uh, empathic as, as filmmakers. Be more like the Darden Brothers, not the Farley Brothers. Well, they had an, a co-writer on this movie who never worked again. So, I mean, maybe he was, maybe that was the idea. The whole idea was his idea or something. I don't know. All uh, right. LVP, Mauricio, uh, because he really screws everything up. And the MVP, I'll, I'll just say Jack Black because it's Jack Black's movie and it works because Jack Black is in the lead. That's a good point, too. All right, let's wrap this up. Quote of the day time. And Zach, you're first. All right, my quote of the day comes from dialogue from um, this movie, Shallow How. I think this might actually be the worst dialogue I've heard in any movie of the 2000s. It's when uh, Tony Robbins is talking to Mauricio and Tony Robbins says, did you ever hear the expression beauty is in the eye of the beholder? And Mauricio says, have you ever heard the song who let the dogs out, which has a sort of beauty to it in terms of writing and how horrible that line is that only could come out in a 2001 movie. Um, it takes me back to my childhood. Yes, if we want to Terrible talk about dialogue. what's dated about this movie, that, that's a perfect <laughs> yeah. example. Can you think of a worse <laughs> line in a movie in the last 20 years? No, not really. Not really. Oh, wait, no. I, I just thought of one. It, it's the final line from Doubt. That that might be a worse line. I have doubts! That's the last line of Doubt. That's a bad line, too. Or but something from Notes on a Scandal. Or anything from Notes on a Scandal. <laughs> But none of those invoke the Baja men. So. The Baja men. All right. Todd, what do you got? Uh, mine also comes from this movie. It's just like a passing line, but it's really funny, I think. Uh, uh, she says, we work at a foundation fighting blindness. And he says, oh, cool. I used to know a deaf guy. As a, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> that is how to a T. <laughs> that, that, and yeah, that, that's a really funny line. I, I, I used to know funny. a deaf guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So my, my line comes from uh, shallow Hal, and it's from Mauricio. And I feel like it, it's just good. It's just a good tip to know. Uh, he says, uh, you can't come back with a comeback after eight seconds. You got three seconds, five tops. It's called a quip, not a slow. So <laughs> that's just good to know. That, that's just, that's just, yeah, yeah. I, was I mean, also, that, that that is a pretty good, a pretty good sequence. That was one of my favorite scenes too, actually. That that whole scene. <laughs> but that was a Seinfeld episode, you know, with with George and the comeback. You know, the ocean called; they're running out of you. Now the jerk store called, and they're running out of you. That should have been my line. There you go. That Better than the Bahamas. Yeah. 
All right. Well, with that, we're going to bring this podcast to a close. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, again, make sure you subscribe, rate, review. We'll be back at you soon with another episode. Be watching for our Oscar challenge once the uh, nominations are released. Until we uh, come at you again, have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.